Second Samuel uh, chapter 12. Um, let's uh, read the text beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. In other words, he didn't use one of his own sheep, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, The man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed the Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thy eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly." but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore unto David, and it was very sick. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, and we are under your scriptures tonight, not to hear the voice of just a mere man, but to hear your word to us. And we recognize that The word that is before us is not an easy word. It's not a light thing. It's a heavy, heavy passage. And the truth that it reveals in our own hearts, like David's heart, is a heavy truth. So help us, Lord, I ask, to respond in obedience and faith to what you call us to do. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
The title of my sermon tonight is this, Coming Out of Hiding. Coming Out of Hiding. You know, if you're familiar with the life of David, things weren't always this tragic. The, the chapter 11 ended in a pretty negative tone. The thing that David did displeased the Lord. But it wasn't always this way. David had been uh, the future king of Israel. And when he was the future king of Israel, before he had his position, before he was made king in front of the people, before he united the tribes, he spent a lot of time in hiding from the unjust king Saul, who used a lot of his time and a lot of his power and a lot of his resources of his kingdom to chase David down in attempts to kill him. So David has spent a lot of time in hiding, a lot of time in caves, a lot of time in enemy territory even, hiding from Saul. And it would seem that when David finally became king, when he finally received the throne, it would seem, friends, that the time for David's hiding was now over. But we come to chapter 12 and David is hiding again. Not from Saul, but from Yahweh, from the God of Israel that called him, the God of Israel that he represented the God of Israel that he worshipped. David is trying to hide from God. After his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, which was not a mutual affair, rather David forced Bathsheba. The text is very clear about that. And then the murder of her husband to cover it up. And then after that, taking Bathsheba as his wife in this stunt before his own people to make him to appear to be a merciful king. It just gets worse and worse and worse. David, the great repentant psalmist, the one who has written all the great penitential psalms that show us how to talk about our sin to God, has no words of confession before God. It would seem like he just moves on with his life. But there was more under the surface, wasn't there? See, what David has done up to this point in refusing to take his sin to God, but rather in repressing it, in hiding it, in covering it before the Lord, what David has done is taken a band-aid and put it over a deeply infected wound. By the way, that's what unconfessed sin is like. You may have a child that gets some sort of terrible injury, you know, playing outside or falling off some park equipment, and they're bleeding and it's terrible, and they want you to put a band-aid on it. But you as the parent know better. (laughs) You have to clean it out. Because if you don't cleanse the wound, you get an infection. And an infection covered with a band-aid is not good. David has a deep, deep infection. The deepest wound of his life in this great sin. And he has responded not by bringing it to God, but by covering it up. By ignoring it. By numbing his conscience to it. So what's God going to do? Well, God in our text is going to bring David out of hiding. What we learn here in in chapter 12, verses 1 through 15, here's the basic thought of our passage, is this, that God brings his sinful servants out of hiding so they confess so that he can cleanse. That's what he's going to do with David. Now, by the way, this is more than just some historical lesson about ancient Middle Eastern kings. This is so important for us as God's people to recognize. 
Because often in the church, especially as we focus on the message of grace, we are told that God is a forgiving God, a merciful God that wants to cleanse us. But cleansing for David did not look like God just offering him cleansing. Wouldn't it be great if after those words, the thing that David did displeased the Lord? We jump to a scene where Nathan is saying, it's okay, David. God has put away your sin. Now, in some versions of American Christianity, that's precisely how people think about God. But instead, we have this painful scene where where God slowly but surely rips off the band-aid. He makes David come out of hiding. He uncovers David's sin, not out of spite, not because he's hateful, not because he's unloving. Because David loves God, he wants David, or because God loves David, he wants David to confess, and he's not going to confess until his sin is uncovered. So God's going to uncover David's sin. This is important for us because we hide and cover as well, spiritually. What does this look like for us? Well, for teenagers, uh, the sin that you're hiding and covering is not that thing that you just told your youth ministry leaders last week. The thing you told them you're struggling with, you said, hey, pray for me, I'm struggling with this. It's not that thing. You're, You're not hiding and covering that. It's the stuff you've pushed down so far deep into your heart that you've not told anyone about it. In fact, it's when unconfessed and and, and unacknowledged so long, you could even forget that it's there. If you're married, the sin that you're hiding and covering is not the thing that you keep bringing up with your spouse that you're trying to get victory over. It's not the thing you're getting counseling for. It's the thing that you're not talking about to anyone, the thing that you stopped praying about. That's what you put a band-aid over. That's what you're hiding and covering. It's amazing and yet disastrous that one of the things we can do as Christians is use spiritually good things, spiritual disciplines, even like coming to church, to layer over our heart so it becomes less sensitive to the Lord. So we can even, if we're dealing with sin and struggling with sin, instead of bringing it out in the open before God, we hide it, we cover it, and we make ourselves feel better by reading our Bibles and by coming to church, and layer after layer after layer is added to our stony heart. And that sin that you're dealing with right now isn't the thing you're thinking of, it's the thing you're not thinking of. The thing you've forgotten, the thing that God is going to have to shake you, to remind you of. Like David, we also put flimsy spiritual band-aids on deep, sinful wounds. So God wants to bring David out of hiding. So how does God do this with David, and what does this teach us about how God does it with us? Notice, notice first of all, in verses 1 through 6, God confronts. God confronts. God confronts David by sending the prophet Nathan. Now, we've been introduced to this prophet before. In fact, last time we saw Nathan, he had some good news, right? David wants to build the temple. Nathan gets really excited. Yes, God wants you to do this. And he has to go back. Never mind, David. I didn't mean that. God wants Solomon, one of your sons in the future, rather, uh, to do this. But, you know, David and Nathan's confrontations earlier, or we should say their conversations earlier, were very positive. David was happy to see the prophet, Because David, in most of his life and in most of his reign as king, was sensitive to the Lord and wanted to do whatever God wanted him to do. So seeing the prophet come uh, to his door was a good thing. And yet here, uh, this is not going to be as friendly of a conversation. 
Notice, I, I love the wording. Notice that the Lord sent Nathan. Now, if you've been paying attention to what's going on in the literature here of 2 Samuel, this word has been used a lot. And you know who it's usually used in, conjun- in conjunction with? David. This is a royal prerogative. This is what the king gets to do. David's the king. He rules over the land. So what does he do? He sends people all over the place. David, instead of fighting, sent Joab, right? And all Israel. How can he do that? He's the king. He can do whatever he wants, or so it seems. I'm going to send Joab to fight for me. Sent. (laughs) David sent and inquired about the woman. David sent messengers and took her. David says to Joab, send me Uriah. I'm David. I do the sending around here. That's what the author is saying. But then we eventually get to chapter 12, and the image of David getting to run his own life, like we try to run our own lives, the image of David controlling all the people around him and doing whatever he wants to do, it falls when we read this. The Lord sent. The Lord sent. (laughs) In other words, David is not in control. David's not in control. He's not in control of what he does, nor is he in control of how well he can cover it up. Because it turns out, God can send people too, David. Now when God sends Nathan, he could have sent him to say, David, you're the man. You have sinned. And that's usually how the prophets start their messages, right? If you've read the prophets, they get quick to the point really fast. That's not what what Nathan does. Nathan instead tells a story. He tells a parable, as it were. Why does Nathan begin by telling David a story? Is Nathan beating around the bush? Is, Is this prophet, perhaps, just a little bit afraid of addressing the king who has his life in his hands, who could have his head off? Is Nathan maybe a little bit too worried about confronting David so that he decides to take this slow approach? Is God being wishy-washy in giving Nathan this message? Why does Nathan tell a story? You know, perhaps it's because David's conscience has been, has, has been so numbed by his own sin that even the prophet of God coming to his face and telling him, you're guilty, would have not been enough. We don't know how long this had taken place after. If the baby had, was just about to be born, it would be nine months. Some say it could be longer than that. Whatever the case, evidently, if Nathan would have shown up, because we see David's self-awareness is so low, even after he hears the story, Maybe if Nathan would have shown up and said, you are the man, David would have been like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Nathan? You say, there's no way David could have been that ignorant of his own sin. Really? Aren't we that ignorant of our own sin sometimes? Don't we lack that same spiritual self-awareness? But, but here's the good news. God knows how to get a hold of his servants' hearts. God, when, when we are numbed by our sin, when our conscience has been deadened, over and over again by unconfessed, hidden, covered sin. God knows how to get our attention, friends. And so he uses this strategy with David. 
Nathan tells a story. By the way, the message of the story is not at the surface level about David's sin. This is not a story about having adultery and murdering somebody. But the story fits because it's about David disregarding and despising God's word. Man with more than enough flocks and herds, very wealthy, a lot of resources. He has a traveler that comes by. He immediately feels the need to give the traveler whatever he wants, even if that means being evil and hurting someone in the process. And so we have David's temptation, which comes out of nowhere, like a traveler. And when this impulse comes upon David, he feels like he has to do whatever he wants, whatever he needs to do to satisfy it, to make it okay, even if he does really bad things along the way. Instead of using the lamb of one of his many flocks, he targets a neighbor that only had one, and it was cherished. By the way, notice how he cherished it. Now, I don't know how many of you just recreationally read 2 Samuel 11 this afternoon, but if there's anyone in here who did read 2 Samuel 11 this afternoon, you'll notice something in verse number 3. That is, that this cherished lamb ate, drank, and lay with its master. Do you see that? All right, all right, okay. You're like, what are you talking about, David? Go back to chapter 11, verse number 9. Nathan is recalling the, the last conversation that David had with Uriah, the last recorded words of Uriah in the Bible. 2 Samuel 11, verse 9. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. This is, by the way, if you're not familiar with what's going on, uh, Bathsheba's already pregnant. David's trying to get Uriah to go home, so it will look like the, the child she's about to have is going to be Uriah's. This is before David decides just to murder him. When they told David, saying, verse 10, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thy house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab... And the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? This conversation that David, you would think, would remember with the man he had murdered. David, you really think I should go and eat and drink and lie? And here is Nathan. Eat and drink. And lie with this lamb. David doesn't get it though. Isn't that amazing? Does that, does that surprise you? That even after uh, Nathan recalls this parallel conversation that David had with the man before he murdered him. Like David doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Do you know that the longer you hide your sin, the more numb you become to your sin? Did you know that? How deadened David's conscience must be to hear this story and doesn't know that he's the main character. He doesn't get that he's the antagonist. And sometimes we miss God's gentle nudges that he gives to us when we harbor unconfessed, hidden, covered sin. And then verse 5. Oh, isn't this ironic? Verse 5, back to our text in chapter 12. He's so angry, isn't he? 
Look down to your Bibles. As the Lord liveth, this man will die. <laughs> Do you see his anger? David is so upset about this story because an animal is killed. Like this is the ancient world. None of them are vegans. They kill animals all the time, right? This guy is going to die. By the way, in the law, this wasn't a capital offense. Now what David did was, but not this. As the Lord lives. Really, David? As the Lord lives? Were you acting like the Lord lives? When you were staring at someone who wasn't your wife? David, were you acting like the Lord lives when you sent soldiers to forcibly take her to your house? No, the only mention of the Lord in chapter 11 is by the author at the end. The thing displeased the Lord. That's the only time we see the Lord mentioned in chapter 11. As the Lord lives, David, really? David is so angry. In verse 6, he wants to the man to pay fourfold. By the way, David would lose four of his children. The unnamed son, Adonijah, Amnon, Absalom, would all die in the tragic chaos of his family that he started here. David would pay fourfold, not the imaginary man. What's going on, David? <laughs> Long-hidden sin has a deadly, deadly, deadly side effect. Man, if you don't get anything else from this message, I really hope you you can grasp onto this. Long-hidden sin has this side effect, that God's people can be outraged by the sins outside of them while being completely numb to the sins inside of them. You know what's worse than nails on a chalkboard? (laughs) Well, a lot of things, but here's one thing that's worse than nails on a chalkboard. Hearing Christians who don't have a life of regular confession, talk about the evils of the world and talk about how we're losing the soul of America. Have you heard those conversations? America doesn't have a soul. But you do. Are you awakened to your own sin or can you only see the evils outside of you? No matter how upset David was about this fictional sin. It wasn't going to compensate for the fact that he had hidden sin before the Lord. Do we get, do we get that? Man, do you see that? I hope this bothers you. I hope this bothers you. Believers can feed off of the evils of the world, can feed off of talking about them, complaining about them, whining about them, lamenting about them. Yet there's no regular times in their life where they open up before the Lord, where they crack open their heart before God in their devotional lives, where they crack open their heart and say, God, what's going on in my heart that I am not aware of? No, we're so focused on everyone else. Then notice number two, God uncovers. Verses 7 through 12. How does God uncover David's sin? Prophet begins simply enough, you're the man, right? But there's so much more in those following verses as the prophet uncovers because there's much more to David's heart. Now, you'll notice that Nathan has to remind David of many things. The the things Nathan has to remind David of are the things David had forgotten in his hidden and covered sin. 
Nathan's words must have been painful for David. They're even painful for us to read because we can think of all the rhetorical questions God can ask us when we hide our sin and when we become numb to the sin we've forgotten about. See, for God's servants to confess their sin, they have to be awakened to it because we don't repent of what doesn't bother us. We don't repent of what doesn't bother us. Thomas Watson calls this experience in his book on repentance the sight of sin. It's a painful experience, but the sight of sin always leads to repentance and forsaking of the sin. And you can't have that without the sight of it. So in quick succession, the Lord gives David a sight of his sin by bringing up these things that David in his sin had forgotten. Here's what they are. David, didn't I anoint you king over my people? Didn't I make you king? Didn't I give you this amazing responsibility and this great power over whose people? My people. My people. Bathsheba wasn't David's. When when she was bathing and, and she was in sight, not because she was doing anything particularly unusual for the time, but because he was very wealthy and lived stories above everybody else. She didn't belong to him. She belonged to God. David forgot that this was not his people. This was God's people that he was ruling over. David, didn't I save you from Saul? Didn't I save you from Saul? What's the point of Nathan reminding David that he had been delivered from Saul? Because here's the thing. David should have known what it was like to be hurt by someone who abused their power. If anyone, if anyone in ancient Israel knew what it was like to be hurt dreadfully by someone who misused their power and treated people like objects and treated individuals as if they were just means to his own end. David knew what that was like because of Saul. God delivered him from Saul. And now David is doing far worse things than Saul had ever done. David, why have you despised my word? That means to look at something with contempt, to neglect it, to look down on it. That's, listen, that's God's explanation for for David's sin with Bathsheba. Not that his other wives weren't satisfying him. Not that, well, he's just a male. This is what males do. Not that just he had a temper. No, that's not it. The root issue here is very clear. David despised God's word. Everything else flowed out of that. That's why he sinned, and that's why he covered his sin. And he used the Ammonites to do his dirty work. By the way, he's still responsible. He didn't say the Ammonites murdered Uriah. You used the sword of the Ammonites, David. I know you did that, but you still killed him. They didn't say that at the funeral, David, because they didn't know. They didn't know. He was treated like a Navy SEAL. He came home. His body came home, and he was given an honorable burial, and they all talked about how many Ammonites it took to take this great soldier down. Yes, David, I know what they said at the funeral, but you and I know... Who really did it? It was you. You just used the swords of the Ammonites to do it. Did you know that God knows things about our sins that other people doesn't know? That other people don't know? Well, you say that's kind of basic. Right. But if David forgot that, maybe we could as well. Don't you think? This is precisely what God asks us in hiding. I've made you one of my people. I've delivered you from evil. So, Christian, why would you despise, God is asking you, why would you despise my word? Why? You know the most dangerous sins aren't the sins right now that you're trying to get help for 
or the sins you're asking God to forgive you about. They're not the sins that you're really, really bothered about right now. They're the sins that you stopped being bothered about. You've despised God's word. You've looked down on what God has said. His commandments don't mean that much to you. And so there are things in your life that just don't bother you anymore. And so, by the way, in uncovering David's sin, God also uncovers, uncovers David's discipline, which is you've brought the sword into your family, it's going to stay. You've brought sexual sin into your family, it's going to stay. You've used violence, it's going to stay. You can't just bring these things in, David, and then like, let them disappear. No, God says that's not how it works. There are long-term effects for what you have done. God's going to cleanse David of his hidden sin. We'll get to that in a second. But David's sin will have effects that God has chosen not to remove. Now notice verses 13 and 15. God finally, God cleanses. We come to these words in verse 13 where David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then even, the, the, and then the sweeter words come after that. The Lord has put it away. Oh, isn't that wondrous? If all we talked about tonight was hidden and covered sin and we didn't talk about cleansing, where would be our hope? <laughs> right? What would be the point of even talking about it? But God is a cleansing God. Now, when I was studying this text, Augustine pointed something out that's really interesting, and that is that we'd seen this confession before when a king was confronted by a prophet, and it's with Saul. But the end results are very, very different. 1 Samuel 15, 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. The prophet confronts him. The king admits, I have sinned. In fact, Saul's confession is actually longer and wordier because he says, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Saul has a longer confession than David does. But what does Samuel say? Does Samuel say, it's been put away? No. He says, after Saul's confession, the Lord has rejected you from being king. Why the two different responses? Augustine summarizes. What can this mean when he talks about this comparison with Saul and David? What can this mean but similarity of words and dissimilarity of hearts? Human beings can hear words. God inspects hearts. It's not enough even to say I've sinned. Because Saul says it. Saul said it, David meant it. You remember the story Jesus tells of the two men? The tax collector says, God, I am evil. He goes home righteous. And the guy thanking God for making him righteous goes home evil. And that's the paradox of grace, isn't it? If we see it anywhere in the Bible, it's right there. Why? Similarity of words, maybe. Dissimilarity of hearts. You know, Christian, just because God uncovers your sin does not mean it will lead to cleansing. Just because, just because you, if you finally have a moment of spiritual self-awareness and you're awakened to it and you're like, I can't believe I've been hiding this from God, that, that doesn't mean God's going to forgive you of it. No. God is looking for repentance from the heart. He's looking for true confession. Oh, that God would show us the sins that don't bother us anymore. So here's what our text teaches. God brings his sinful servants out of hiding so they confess, so he can cleanse. So my question for you tonight is this. Christian, have you been in hiding? Have you been hiding and covering from God? 
What, what is it in your life that God may be bringing to mind even now that's been unconfessed for so long that it's stopped bothering you? Is there anything Jesus died for that you've learned to live with? We learn to live with a lot of things, don't we? Sometimes that's part of just adapting to life, but is there something that Jesus died for? And it's been so far removed, maybe nine months, maybe two, three years. It's as if Nathan the prophet's coming to you and telling the story, and you don't even get it. You just don't see it. It's so far out of sight, so far out of mind. You have numbed your conscience so well and so effectively that you don't even see the sin in yourself that drives you mad when you see it in others. It could be a lot of things. It could be lust. It could be resentment. It could be hatred. It could be a grudge. It could be gossip. It's not the things you're confessing. It's the things you're not confessing. So God's message to us tonight through his word, I believe, is this. Christian, come out of hiding. Well, David, why is this process so painful? Why does God want to bring me out of hiding? Why does God want to uncover? Why does God want to rip off the band-aid? Here's why. Uncovering leads to confession. Confession leads to cleansing. God wants to take the band-aid off of the wound. He wants to reach in there and he wants to cleanse it. He wants to sterilize it. We cannot put away our sin by ignoring it and by suppressing it. But God can put away our sin. How does he do it for the Christian? Because he reminds us of a story. And what is the story? A lamb that was taken from its owner, innocently slaughtered. Isn't that the story that we tell ourselves? Isn't that the story, the gospel that God uses to bring dead and numb Christians out of hiding? And remembering his grace, this is why we come to church. This is why we have a cross behind me. Because we remember the story of the lamb who was innocently slaughtered so we would be awakened to our own sin. What sin is God showing you tonight? Now let me ask this. We're going to pray. Here's what we're going to do just a minute. We're going to stand, and then I'm going to invite you to come and pray. And you may be thinking, I don't have any sin to confess, David. Even after the sermon, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there is anything in my heart that I have to confess before God. Why don't you just ask him? You can come down, or you can stay where you're at. Why don't you ask God, God, is there something in my heart that I don't see? In the Psalms, David doesn't pray to himself, search me, O David. Because there was a limit to how much he could know about himself. Search me. How does it read? Oh, God. So let's stand tonight.